So what are they called? Uh, I don't know. Bon, bon Maman Madeleine. Oh, What's Madeleine cakes. Madeline cakes. <coughs> yeah, take, Madeleine take cakes. One out, they look like a little speed bag. Yeah, and if you get the chocolate ones... Either way. If you get the chocolate <laughs> ones, the underneath is chocolate. So oh, right. it looks even more like a speed boat. I didn't even know you get chocolate ones. That's, I'm going to have to look out for Oh, that. yeah, there's chocolate underneath. But it's chocolate-flavoured cake rather than a chocolate layer. Like a bear okay. So they're excellent. Uh, that was the food news. You're listening, <laughs> you're listening to the Blue Box podcast. And for the next one hour and 47 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. And the Madeleine cake's on the floor. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Simon. Unbelievable. So rude. Yeah. Oh, two words for you, Simon. See, you're the one. Slow fast. Theatre Diabolique. Yes. Well, I think we ought to tell everybody what it is. Okay. Lee, do you want to do it since Simon's got a mouthful of Madeleine? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah, I'll start. You can finish. Oh, <laughs> are we still talking about Madeline? Mm. Theatre Diabolique. 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 I can't say the word. It's like nuclear. I can't say that either. Wasn't Diabolique a Marvel character? I don't uh, know. Oh, DC. Probably. Or could have been DC. Yeah, I think it was DC. Oh, mm. I don't know. I'm not into comics. I just seem to remember when I was growing up, there was somebody called Diabolique, and he was just all in black. I think he was one of the bad guys. I yeah. don't, don't yeah. remember him. We've got a book at him and I haven't seen him yet. You've got a in, book? Book in A to Z. Oh. I'll, I'll see if I can look him up later you know, next time. Look in D. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I might find it there. This is a uh, this is a book, an anthology um, that's been put together by um, the Cygnus Alpha fanzine crew. Uh, Dan... This book about the Marvel superheroes. <laughs> Dan Barrett, um, who is Dan Barrett, you know wasn't Dan Barrett? he you know inside Dan a Dalek? He was inside a Dalek. Dan, Dan the Dalek man. We had him on the podcast talking about Daleks, Lee. How far back? Well, there's only a little bit of room in there. There's not very far back you can get. How Um, how long ago? Yeah. Within the last year. Oh, okay. So was it? About a year ago, maybe. We've only been going for two years. Before the project, then, Mm. of Theatre Diabolique started. Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically, it's it's a book that's got seven short stories in it. Is it seven or six? I can't remember Hmm. now. It's an anthology anthology, in the style of of the Amicus Manto films, which is a framework and lots of little stories uh, running alongside it as well. And it'll be released very, very shortly at the end of October. Um, There'll be a PDF download and a print version that you can buy. There'll be a print version. I heard it was £6.66. The paperback is £6.66. Is it? Yes. Oh. If you go, just look for any of us or go on Facebook and look up Theatre Diabolique. Absolutely. And you'll be able to find it. There are seven short stories in there and a linking story, right? There is. And all three of us have written for it. Well, I was just about to bring that up. I know you were. (laughs) Who's got got the first story in the book? Dan. No, he's the linking story, isn't he? Oh, he's the linking stories, yeah. So who's the first actual story? 
Um, it'll be. Uh, it might. It's not yours, is it? It is. It is yours. Isn't it? <laughs> it is yours, isn't it? So basically, readers. Um... When he said, he said, right, there's going to be seven stories, and each one is going to correspond with one of the seven ages of man. That's and then he said with, yeah. to the seven guys who'd said we want to write for this book, he said, right, which of the ages of man do you want to do? And of course, everybody said, oh, old man, oh, or all right. grown up. And I said, infant. Put me down for infant, <laughs> because I knew I'd be the first one in. Oh, is that the only reason? That's so shallow. Actually, no. <laughs> the, the reason was, I said to him, I'll write anything, I don't care, which is the one that nobody wants, and he said, infant. I said, okay, that's what I'll do. Yeah, you've done a very good job. I've read it, it's great. You've read my story? I've read your story. Mm-hmm. Why have you read so my story? Because I'm... Why have you read my yeah. story? I've read your story. I've read all of them. Yeah, that's bloody outrageous. We're all part of the process. Oh, of course you are, you're Cygnus Alpha. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I've not read anybody's stories. I still haven't read 12 Doctors of Christmas. Haven't you? Haven't you? Yeah, your two <laughs> stories are great. Bless you, sir. So is yours. <clears throat> yeah, but your two are better than mine, which pissed me off a bit when I first read it. Oh, come off it. You're having a laugh now, aren't you? No. Seriously? Seriously. <laughs> okay. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> you know, mine's just this nothing thing about a cow. I love the I cow. Really I love really love you yours, actually. No, really? I'm, no, I'm completely honest, yes. Yeah. Oh, I've got, well, got a little odd. bit of smoke if you want to bend over. I can blur it up your ass. No, <laughs> seriously, it is actually... Uh, it's when actually I read the book, I, I thought, oh, God, I mine is like so nothing. <laughs> I haven't written a Doctor Who story. I've just written a story about a cow. <laughs> Because it's the 12 Doctors of Christmas, we each had something from that rhyme. You had eight maids of milkins. So I was like really fascinated how you're going to handle this with the eighth Doctor. Um, yeah, you yours did was have... a bit shoehorned in. It was brilliant. Was it? Oh, yeah, yeah. it was as well. <laughs> <laughs> what was it again? I can't remember what it was. Five gold rings, wasn't it? No, no, no. no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, because my ten. original story was the five well, gold rings. It depended rings. on the Doctor, didn't I? I had David Tennant, so it was ten. So it was yeah. ten... Lords are leaping. Ten, ten lords are leaping. leaping. And, of course, instantly yes. it was the... Yeah. Oh, yeah, but it works. We're not going to say anything, are we? No, can, no, we're not. Go out and buy it. I'm pleased with the way I shoot. Actually, it's free. You can go and download it. <laughs> you can tell, though. Really? Yeah. Actually, it's probably know... the first thing I thought of, obviously. But with the companion I've got, it made perfect sense to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what I mean? If you know what the um, conceit behind the stories are. Oh, my are, God, I've just had, a, had this like, little insight of what it's like to be a Doctor Who writer where somebody picks on something that you've written. Says, I'm not yeah, picking on it. No, 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 I said just now it was a great it's story, a but the <laughs> ten lords are leaping thing is like. Well, see, I tried to make my story about the well, eight maids of milking. Yeah, go on. So that there was no, and that's why it's not really a Doctor Who story. It's a story about milkmaids. Yeah, I had a partridge in a pear tree with William Hartnell. I mean, come on, let's just call it the pear tree, and I wanted to make it there as part of the story, but nothing too obvious, and actually it becomes. See, if you'd have set yours on a plateau where some of the cliff was falling away, you could have said there was a part ridge. Very good. Yeah. Or on a pear tree? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Okay. That's pretty good. That's tenuous as opposed to shoehorn. Oh, shit. Should have thought that. Uh, Ian Martin (laughs) says, should we do film reviews first before we talk about Doctor Who? Yeah, cool. Oh, Lee, I'm not going to ask you what you thought of Kill the Moon. I'm just going to ask you to give it a score. I've got to talk about it one day. Can I, I don't care. One day? We've talked about it. Oh, oh so, don't bore so, the listeners. So they rigid. want to hear about so Mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah. Nine we out walked, ten. We walked that dangerous line. Nine out of ten. Oh, there's not much more to say then, is there? We walked that dangerous line last week, didn't we? 
We talked about it. Oh, we talked about it. We talked about it. Some of the silly things that are being said. What did you think of it then? I loved it. I loved it. Do you know what? The most interesting thing is the first time I watched it, I was on Clara's side, thinking, "Yeah, Doctor, what are you? What are you doing?" Second time I watched it, it was on the Doctor's side. Completely got it from his perspective, um, and it was amazing that kind of shift. And the first time I watched it, I thought, "This is the silliest thing I've ever seen." But at the same time, is it is it brilliant? I couldn't quite work out. Second time I watched it, I thought, "This is absolutely brilliant." I watched it's... it for the second time today. It was shit. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that what it what it has essentially done is brought this kind of really um, pulp science fiction idea and just kind of thrown in Peter Capaldi and generally's comment doing the best acting and unbelievable. I was so emo- that that last scene. I was just gonna say this and we can move on. That last we don't have to move on. I was only kidding well, when I said I was. You know <laughs> that last it. scene um, where they're having that little spat. I haven't felt emotionally attached to Doctor Who. Or, you know, it had an emotion kind of well up inside me. When you say having a spat, is that a euphemism? <laughs> Every show. <laughs> it's it's the only time since Doomsday that I've wanted to almost kind of be so proud of it. I, I don't know what to do with myself. I feel really emotionally kind of, oh, this is so good. This is so good. And then I read on... Do not know what to do with yourself. But then, do you know what? I looked on Facebook the next day, on your your thread, I think it probably was, the 216 comments going through. Mm. Oh, my God. Talk about Kill the Moon, Kill the Moon episode. It was... Kill Joy the Moon. Kill Joy the Moon, yeah. Bleeding Henry. Just enjoy it. It's a great episode. So many whingers out there. No offence to any whingers out there. <laughs> Stop whining. It's a great, great episode. Oh, should we start with a whinge then? Go on, Go on. then. Uh, okay, I'm moving ahead. I was going to do the emails that were about other things than Mummy on the Orange Express. So I'll start with this one then. Sean M. Vale says, I've really liked Peter Capaldi's Doctor so far, but I've been wondering why he's not connecting with me. This weekend, this was just before Mummy on the Orange Express, I finally realised what the problem is. I've been watching David Tennant and Matt Smith, and watching them is a lot of fun. Watching Capaldi's Doctor is not fun for me. There's the difference. The new Doctor is not fun. Actually, I, I think Peter Capaldi's great fun, but I, I suppose it's a different kind of fun. I hope, says Sean, that changes soon, or it will end up being like the Davison to Colin Baker era for me. It hurts my heart to say it, but I think the not fun explanation is finally the one that's defined the reason I've not connected this year. Mm. I've been a fan since I first watched reruns of Hartnell on PBS in 1988. I'm not a new fan. I'm still hoping this season pulls its nose up. Otherwise, it will be down on the Davis and Colin Baker scale for me. I'm getting the same feeling that I had towards the last few seasons of The X-Files Lost a Millennium. Shows that used to be fun and interesting, but climbed up their own arses. And then, about an hour later, he emailed back and said, Oh, I'm back. Mummy on the Orient Express was an amazing episode. <laughs> Possibly one of my favourites <laughs> in all of the series. You know what it was? We actually got to see the Doctor in action this time. Yeah. The companion took the back seat for a change. Finally. Mm. Although, to be fair, that was true of Time Heist. I thought awesome. Mummy on the Orient Express had a lot in common with Time Heist. We'll come back to that when we talk about it. You talk some more about This may not be the case, but I think preconceptions can work both ways, can't they? If if you're not expecting much, then it's great. And sometimes if you're expecting too much, the episode disappoints you. (coughs) Mm. But I think 
he has got an absolutely valid point in in as much as that you know David Tennant and Matt Smith they were your mates you know you could stick your arm around them go out for a pint and you'll be all mucking around together and and he was absolutely your mate what you saw was what you got and Peter Capaldi's the boat round the back of the pub who asked you if you've got any spare tobacco who's a bit strange who if you take the time to sit down and talk to you find out some really amazing things but don't expect him to be your mate yeah but do you know what he fought in the Crimean war but he still hasn't got any tobacco <laughs> do, you know, do you know what the reason why he's like that is because it's reinforcing the alien side of the doctor when you do you know what i've in, got a theory go on then. No, you go on and say what okay. you're saying. In Kill but... the Moon, yeah, okay, it isn't too deep this one, but anyway. But in Kill the Moon, there's that lovely bit on the beach where he's looking up at the sky and he's saying, you know, and this is where mankind looks to the sky and starts going off into outer space and stuff. And then he closes his eyes and there's a close-up of him on the beach, which is all very colourful, lovely beach, and his face is grey and wet. It's almost like he's got webs on it. He looks 2,000 years old. He looks like... Mm. If you look at his eyes... There, it's almost like he's got no pupils. Mm. It's a really, it's almost like a statue. It's, it's a brilliant, brilliant. Go back and look at it. That little scene, and look at him, mm. because he is. He's got the weight of everything on his shoulders still after all of this time or stuff. Well, yeah. But it's just, it's you know, he's alien. The whole point of Doctor Who is he's not human. And in fact, we get to see that in a few old Doctors. Tom Baker was one of those, and he does channel the Tom Baker thing. So. Why not? Go back and look at mm. Pyramids of Mars when he's talking to Sarah Jane. She oh, says, sometimes you're just not human. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. face it, it's, it's the Colin Baker process, you know, where he started <clears throat> throttling people as soon as he was... It was kind of done... They've done that, but in I the way that it should have been done. Yeah, everybody's been yeah. saying that, and really? I... And, yeah, there's something to that, but I don't think it's that so much. I think he's just channeling Tom Baker and John Pertwee. John, John Pertwee was pompous prick especially towards unit in the first year mm. you look at inferno he's running around having to go at everybody <laughs> and then tom baker turns up in robot and because it's written by terence Dix and produced by barry letts it's not quite the tom baker that you'll come to know mm. but he's still very much you know waving I, goodbye at i was point. thinking more the process that if back in the Colin Baker days, they thought a bit more about the process rather than trying to do all this shocking stuff. Can't think who might be responsible responsible for that, some of that. But oh, who do you think? Yeah, um, <laughs> if they thought a bit more about the process, the fact that all of a sudden this is becoming a different person, you've got to think about the dynamic of how the companion's going to react because they've got used to this one person, then all of a sudden they've got this completely different person. Um, you know, and that was, it was a it was a gentle transition between Matt Smith, uh, David Tennant, and Matt it Smith. It really was. And the this, trouble with he's a completely different. It's like he's been in a car crash and his brain's been rewritten. I, th- I think. I you mean, know, it's if, Richard Hammond. Yeah, if yeah, territory, yeah, isn't it? if Stephen Moffat, because he said he wanted an old old person in his role after David Tennant, he was looking for somebody old, wasn't he? Matt mm. Smith walked in and did this old man in a young body type thing and went. I'm going to have to have him. He's as amazing. But if Peter Cal- Peter Capaldi walked in at that point, or maybe it came to his mind, oh yeah, we should be having this guy. We'd have seen him earlier. And how would that have affected everything? You know. And then, I think it would. Yeah. And after Peter, maybe Matt Smith turned up. You know, it, this is Doctor Who. You're, mm-hmm. We have to have a change. And it's not. I don't think it is just the Doctor. It's the way that the whole. Um, the, the the two characters are being written now. They've been written differently. The pacing of every episode is adult. It's done like 
a bit like Sherlock, or it's done like something that unravels slowly. The last three episodes especially, I think. I and I really, really like it. I like it. It's kind of mature. It's like the Philip Hinchcliffe feel of, of those times with Tom Baker, but it's it unravels slower, yet it, it's still action-packed. It's very boring. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not actually. It just deceives you into thinking it is. Yeah, that's good <laughs> Good writing, that's good production. It gives the impression of being more self-contained per episode, doesn't it? Oh, but it gives Mummy the on the Orient Express was the least self-contained episode ever written, which seems to have gone over everybody's heads, which we'll come to when we well, talk as about As far it. as the Clara thing? No, everything. Everything in that story has okay. got something to do with the mm. ongoing series. Okay. Everything. Um, oh, God, absolutely everything, just Whoa. about. We'll come there to are it. Some yeah, links okay. I can think of anyway. Yeah, but I did have a theory, and I'm and I was going to bring this up the other week, and I'm sure I didn't get round to it then either, and I almost forgot. Now, people have been saying, well, one question that people have asked is, if in the day of the Doctor we finally realised that the, well, as it turns out, War Doctor didn't press that button, why has the Twelfth Doctor still got the weight of the world on his shoulders mm. when? You know, that should have finished with the 11th Doctor. Mm-hmm. And we had that whole scene where the War Doctor looks at the 10th and 11th Doctors and says, stop running around like kids pretending you didn't do it. You did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peter Capaldi is the Doctor that was never meant to be. It was supposed mm-hmm. to finish with Matt Smith. I think what Peter Capaldi's got on his shoulders is the weight of the new regeneration cycle. Mm. The weight of being alive when he knows he should be dead. Yeah, 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 and there may be more to it than that. I'm, I'm hoping that Stephen Moffat's played a game with us where we find <clears> out a bit more about the Doctor's character that we it, it's hidden in plain sight again. Maybe we're seeing things he's dropping. Well, some, something in about the Doctor. Given what the, the face, for instance, part of the arc with Missy is, I you've got to imagine that this is going to be addressed at the end of the series in some way, shape, or form, mm. even if it's not bolted down and said out loud. This seems to be where it's going. Hmm. Shall we um, repair to more emails? Go on then. Or do you want to do a film review? Let's do another email. Mm. Okay, Ian Martin says, Just arrived home from Frankfurt Book Fair and catching up on two episodes of Doctor Who that I've missed. I know you've covered Kill the Moon, but I wanted to chime in anyway. I've seen that it's polarised fandom, but my two penneth is brilliant (laughs) the moon egg idea was not particularly new indeed i pitched a novel with a similar similar central conceit to virgin publishing as a benny adventure way back when but the positives for me were truly scary and very convincing giant spiders Mm. as an arachnophobe i proper squirmed a great lunar surface realization Mm. and some good acting Mm. let's pause here and consider the work of jenna coleman from a quirky beginning, then an enjoyable meander through Series 7, where she had no character to speak of, no background, but ran about volleying Buffy stroke sorking level dialogue with a plum, mm-hmm. Jenna Coleman's work in Series 8 has been simply stellar. This actor has gone from being the latest Who girl to simply the finest companion we've ever had, and one of the finest actors the show has ever had. I disagree that this improvement is because of her now working with PCAP. I think this argument overlooks just how good Matt Smith is, and was, in the lead role. Why is she so improved then? 
because Stephen Moffat is shaping an arc which relies on on Clara now being a grounded and fully realised human being with a job and family and ties and a plausible life. All missing elements from the maddeningly opaque cipher we saw in Series 7. He is writing... Oh, dear, oh, dear. He is writing or commissioning some amazing scripts this year. This is what was missing from Series 7. This is why everything suddenly feels richer, thicker, stickier and more nourishing. This is what is allowing Jenna Coleman to soar. Just on a point of order, of course, we didn't have a series last year, so he's had two years to put this series together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back to Ian Martin. As regards Mr Capaldi, he is winning my love by stealth. Deep breath didn't wow me as I have said. But with each episode, his Doctor becomes more familiar, mm. more unfamiliar, more alien and more classic Who all at once. I hated seeing Matt Smith leave. But somehow, once again, we have what feels like another choose your top three Doctors Doctor <laughs> to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Seriously, two on the trot. If I had to pick my top three Doctors, I might just put both of Moffat's incarnations in that list. And this would have seemed unthinkable eight weeks ago say I agree with him mm, hard mm. to disagree with him certainly they're both in the top four mm. the science in Bark at the Moon was a bit back of a beer mat though <laughs> I suspect that detonating 100 nukes on a volatile and splintering moon very much would have exploded it violently apart but what do I know I'm not a PE teacher <laughs> mind you just blowing it apart wouldn't have necessarily meant those bits fell to earth no there's, there would still be gravity yeah, if gravity is pulling something that has the mass of the moon towards the Earth, then at that distance, other things that are lighter from the moon wouldn't be pulled towards the Earth. Mind you, I said that quite as if I was like a scientist. I really don't know. I suspect there, there isn't. A, you know, the gravity's a lot less on the moon, so maybe if you blew it apart, stuff would fly off. Be left with a big chunk of. Oh yes, it would fly off. But my point would be it wouldn't then get caught in Earth's gravitational pull because those bits wouldn't be as heavy as the moon is. So it would take an object that heavy to get caught in the gravitational yeah, then, pull at that well, distance. Just, it'd like, end up in orbit. You'd need Bruce Willis yeah, up there, wouldn't you? Like it. it's some kind of demolition expert, somebody who's used to blowing up <laughs> asteroids and stuff. Exactly. And himself in an asteroid. And if he takes Ben Affleck with him as well. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, Liv Tyler. Mm. Anymore? No, she didn't go, <laughs> did she? Or did she? I can't remember. It's oh, been no, years since I've go, seen it. She? No, she didn't go, did she? She was back on Earth, wasn't she? I can't remember. She was staying awake just to hear him breathing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Let's not do anymore. Okay, finally, Ian says, I'll let you know what I make of Mr. Radio on the Orient Express, and I promise greater brevity when I do. As a belated birthday treat, I'm now going to watch my boy from Space DVD from the BFI. Anyone remember that? I certainly do. I I never saw it, I don't think. I saw it at school, and it haunted me for years, and I genuinely thought I was the only one who remembered it, and then all of a sudden it's out. I've been looking for it for donkey's years, actually. <clears throat> I think it comes out. Spooky little thing it was. I don't know, I think it came out in September, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it did. I managed to find um, volume one of Ulysses 31 for 50p in a charity shop over the weekend. You love that, don't you? I do. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, last week Simon and I talked about a film that I couldn't remember the name of that had Albert Brooks going up to heaven. All right, yep. And it was all... And basically the joke of the film was it was all about how officious everybody is up in heaven. And I couldn't remember what it was called. Mm-hmm. It was called Defending Your Life. Oh, God. Never heard of and that. And thanks to Tim Burroughs for listening to the podcast mm-hmm. and letting me know. 
And if anybody wants to catch up with it, because it is a great film. The entire thing, somebody has uploaded it to the Tube of You, and it appears to still be there. But it's not available in this country. So no. if you're in the UK, I don't suppose mm. you're breaking any laws watching it there. If you can get it at all. You can get it on Region 1, because I've checked. Okay. Andrew Moore. Can, uh, I, you can went... I just say about Ian's uh, email? Yeah, you can. Andrew Moore. <laughs> this is in reply to something that... Oh, did you actually want to talk? <laughs> no, I just want to say how good it was. And I agree with everything he's just said. Brilliant. Thank you, Ian, for agreeing with me. <laughs> Without knowing. <laughs> okay. Andrew, poor old Andrew oh, Moore, sitting here waiting for his email. I'll tell you what now. I do want to say. Oh, he's I want to nice say guy, one yeah. thing. Is that um, halfway through that email, he mentioned about writing uh, an adventure for Virgin, which has got a similar premise to it. I just say that it was written in 1950 by Nelson Bond. Called um, the Moon's and, Neck and Low the Bird. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, go and read that. That's good. It's terrifying. It's more more scary than Kill the Moon. I've written a short story where the Earth's crust is actually the crust of a loaf of bread, <laughs> and the inside of the Earth is bread. <laughs> well, jam. No, just bread. Why? Because the bread. crust's unbroken. How do you get the jam in there? With a syringe. Oh, that just struck me. Yeah, oh, God. I'll throw it away. Have you ever seen... Have <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> ever seen State of Decay? <clears throat> State of Decay? Yeah. Do they have a syringe? Be... Well, yeah, it's kind of a big steak, isn't it? It'd be State of Tooth Decay, wouldn't it, if it's jam? <sighs> These are getting better. It's like, carry on. Go home, Simon. <laughs> Read out oh. Andrew, he's a nice bloke. Andrew Moore says, and this is... After the last podcast, which Lee hasn't heard, okay. one hour and 40 minutes. Actually, it was one hour and 47 or eight or something, wasn't it? Mm. He says, one hour and 40 minutes and you open with driving etiquette. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was that? Uh, we started last week's podcast with a tirade against people who don't bother with their indicators. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, he says, feel a bit let down after tonight's episode. Really surprised after all the groundwork that's been laid, especially last week, Clara changes her mind on what feels like a bit of a whim. Mm. Could have done with an extra five minutes to give the change of mind more time to develop, as well as giving the plot more time to be tied up. First disappointment of Series 8. I'm not sure he's right, though. No, because Robert Sherwood was the first disappointment of Series 8. No, uh, when he says give it an extra five minutes for the change of mind to set in, Mm. I think she changes her mind about 15 minutes into the episode soon as i think i've only watched it the once again but as soon as it turns out that they're not just on the orange express but that usual doctor who weird shit's going down mm. she gets that twinkle in her eye because she comes out of her bedroom and investigates yeah, yeah. and from that point onwards you know that the change of heart's coming mm. so i think as with a lot of these things and i'm not saying andrew this is against you in any way, but I think with a lot of these things, there's a lot of stuff you don't really notice the first time. Mm. I think so many of the people who actually go on the forums and bitch about things not making sense do that after they've seen something once, before they go through. And you know what I was saying the other week about Stephen Moffat usually answers his questions before he asks them. Mm. Mm. If you don't notice that he's answered it before he asks it, you think he's not given the answer, but the answers are usually there. And this series of Doctor Who has been very consistent mm. in that everybody's been doing the same things. Mm. 
Which is one of the reasons why I thought Mummy on the Orange Express was a bit like Time Heist. Because okay. it sets up... Well, it sets up a certain kind of a plot where the investigation is leading towards what will be uncovered. And once you get there, what that you uncover is basically the opposite of what you think it's going to be. Mm. In Time Heist, you think it's a bank robbery, so you're expecting there to be some loot at the end of it. Mm. And actually, it's a rescue mission to save a species. And then in Mummy on the Orient Express, you think it's some kind of a monster. It's just a man who's dead, had some machinery plugged into him and been programmed to go around terrorising people. Mm. And what he really needs is saving. He needs the machinery taken out so that he can just die in peace. Mm. In fact, it reminds me of something else, that because of that. What's the story that ends with somebody well, wanting to be left to die in peace? What's the story? You can't stand the pirate one. Yeah, can't stand that one. What's it called? <laughs> Curse of the Black Spot. Curse, Curse of the Black Spot. Curse of the no, I'm not script. talking Doctor Who. I'm talking something else. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, there's lots of things that end like that, but I was thinking yeah, of something it's quite a specific. Thing, isn't it, really? Shocking. Episode. I'm talking a bit more classic than that. I'm talking <laughs> literary sci-fi. <laughs> but then that happens all the time, doesn't Maybe it? Maybe did. Let's just add, what are the classics? Are they Huckleberry Finn? Oh, Huckleberry Finn, one of the classics in literary sci-fi. <laughs> Thanks for your contribution, Lee. You can go. So he was in. Who wrote your Huckleberry Friend? Who wrote that? Mark Twain. Mark Twain. He was in Star Trek. Yes. Yes, he was. He was in Time's Arrow, which yeah. was a brilliant story. Anyway, back to Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, okay. You've completely put me off my stride now. Sorry. Talking about... Do you mean Mark Twain? Oh, you'd love it. It's quite timey-wimey, that one. I don't like timey-wimey as a genre. I like what Stephen Moffat does with it. Hmm. Mm. which is basically the foreshadowing and the answering the questions before they get asked. Mm. It's not the time travel stuff that appeals to me. Oh, it's it's, it's kind of it. mystery and trickery, isn't it, that Stephen Moffat's doing in this series? Yeah. He's a conjurer. He's a conjurer. <laughs> he is. Good accent. Oh, sorry. <laughs> He's a conjurer. He Okay, come on then, guys. What did you think of... Because I've not asked either of you. Simon, mm. Lee's already told us a review of Kill the Moon, so give us your brief pricey of Mummy on the Orient Express. Mummy on the Orient Express, I loved the style, the feel, the atmosphere of the thing. It was kind of um, that lovely Victorian Talons of Wang Chang thing going on again. Set design and everything was just beautiful. Loved what Peter Capaldi was wearing. I can't believe I'm talking about how it all looked, but it, oh, it what a shock. Amazing. Third Doctor. Sorry? Spearhead from space, isn't it? Close. I suppose. I suppose. But he was just wearing a tux, wasn't he? Yeah, I can't even I remember. I don't notice these things. kind of tie things. thing. Mm. I'm sure it was the same. It might be just me. Not Yeah, well, I might have got it wrong. Hmm. I don't even know. But, oh, it's great. It was, a good again, another great straightforward episode. Um, wow, except not that straightforward. <laughs> That's straightforward. I have to say, the Clara business, I was with Andrew up to a point where all of a sudden she's back on the train. I was, and part of me was disappointed. I built myself up to this being a Doctor Alone story because of what happened. I thought there was going to be a break. Mm. Ah, but what happened was great. Oh, no, no, I'm just saying there was a payoff when you suddenly, all of a sudden, there was the conversation as the fact that an amount of time had passed. She had taken time out. 
and he did. They did get back in contact with each other. A month. She said it was a month, didn't and she? And it was supposed to be the last hurrah. So mm. they've she, which never is done a that. Lovely in idea. To who before? Yeah, no, really what a, good. What really a brilliant good. way to start your story. And yeah. actually, jumping to the end, I'll say it now because I won't remember later on when Clara. Essentially, I don't know. After watching it only once, I'm not sure if it was right, but it came across that she was being unfaithful. Yes. And I hated her for it. I wanted to give her a slap. So wow. What are you doing? What are Didn't you doing? Didn't she basically tell Danny, that's it, I'm done, and then put the phone down and turn around to the doctor and say, right, yeah, we're basically next. having an affair. Let's face mm. it. Which, mm. Yeah, but that's great because that's, that's tension yet again. Oh, we know. It's clever. The, it's family clever. life. Certainly, and, it's certainly playing with my emotions. And I think that gives an opportunity for Danny Boy to get on board. I hope he does anyway. And the doctor's a little suspect. bit more annoyed with him for being a soldiery type soldier. I wouldn't blame him for dumping her. I suspect we're going to get to the end of this series <sighs> and Danny's never going to have taken a trip on the TARDIS, you know. Mm, maybe. That'd be a shame. Well, He's great. I do say. like him. He does mm. sound like Mickey, though, a lot of the time. Do you think? Yeah, he's got a very Mickey London accent going. Have a listen. But uh, no, I like him. I like him as an actor. I find him very believable. Um, and quite, quite, you know, even when he's sitting down being <laughs> lazy and, and kind of talking to on the phone and barely moving out of his sofa while she's having fun in space. He feels real, doesn't he? He feels real. I and he also says things. Because the thing of it is, when you write a story, particularly a television story, it's <coughs> sort of become incumbent upon writers these days to write everything correctly. In other words, what I'm saying is, mm. well, you don't have characters stumbling over their dialogue, right? Because that would just become annoying if they did that the way people do that like in real do. life all the yeah. time. Mm. But what you also do then is it's so tempting and it's become a thing to allow characters to say the perfect thing in that situation. And this is kind of one of the criticisms of Stephen Moffat in that his characters are always speaking in the most wonderfully witty dialogue. Mm. Some people do talk like that. And besides, even if that's not very realistic, like I've said before, that's how everybody talks in Aaron Sorkin. And, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. But the thing is, even if they're talking in witty dialogue, they're not always saying the right thing. It goes back to those conversations they were having in Listen at the start, where they would be on the first date and it kept going wrong because somebody kept putting their foot in their mouth. Mm. And now what's happening further along in the series is we're kind of seeing echoes of that in that when Jenna, when uh, Clara has a scene with Danny, she'll say something to him and his response, as you would expect it to be, would be to calm and soothe her and to be a solid presence for her. But actually, there's this undercurrent in his dialogue that in some ways he's kind of either egging her on to either go and be a devil with it or else to stop but he's kind of he's pushing certain buttons mm. and usually when you see that in drama it's either right on the surface or it's not there at all yeah mm. uh, but this is yeah. really subtly being done so that you only really notice it if you're kind of looking for it but it was kind of like i said foreshadowed in those bits at the earlier in the series where we saw kind of the way the dialogue between those characters would never be perfect dialogue in a script writery way. Peter Capaldi can deliver lines pretty quickly if he needs to, but mm. we've had Matt and David Tennant 
delivering at a thousand miles an hour, along with all the companions also talking pretty quick. Yeah, look at look at how witty I am. Ooh, yeah, blah 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 blah. blah, blah. It's like, oh, okay, slow down a bit. But actually, what we've got now is Clara still going at the same speed, but with with Danny and Peter Cowdy not going at her speed. They're slightly slower. Danny's slower than Peter. So, in fact, she's the one that's like babbling all the time, and you get this, like you say, this calm presence from Danny, and it's really good actually because what it does slow her down a little bit. It weighs her down. It brings her down to earth a bit, and it shows shows more of her character of who she is instead of just a, a character who can speak really quickly like um Stephen Moffat said you know oh you won't believe how fast Jenna Com can talk and I was thinking oh no not more M- but do you know what Peter Capaldi said but actually it works it in works his well. job interview with Stephen Moffat he said less dialogue please less lines to learn <laughs> John Perley all over again <laughs> he didn't really oh yeah less less cue cards stuck around the set please I tell you what though as far as the character is concerned I think you'll probably find that we'll she'll start going off with the doctor and doing these things again and then at some point Danny will say I knew all along you were still going yeah he's going to find so out he's that it? kind of on the ball with so her. she's back to the beginning again like, kind of lying to him like it was at the beginning of the series mm, mm. you know running out and she's going to be covered in green goo where did you get that from then oh you know bathroom's leaking <laughs> right let's get into it other similarity between this and time heist or other flip of a coin similarity between this and Time Heist. Time Heist, whole thing is a rescue mission set up by some mysterious off-screen person. And at the end it transpires that this person's the Doctor, but everybody who's in the story is behaving as puppets for this person who's off-screen, who's controlling things. Mm. Gus, in Mummy on the Orient Express, has set up this entire trip as an experiment. He's controlling everybody, pulling all their strings... And although he doesn't intend it to, at the end it turns into a rescue mission when the Doctor frees the soldier. Okay, story arc things here. Okay, Clara and Danny, their relationship is addressed, as you've just talked about, Mm. at the end of the episode. Clara and the Doctor, their relationship is addressed, as we've talked about, when she decides to carry on travelling instead of stopping as she intended. Danny, Pink, the soldier... And we know there's a big thing about soldiers this year. And what does the mummy turn out to be? A soldier. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. A soldier who's lost his soul. And that basically is the reason why Danny left the army. So that mummy is, to all intents and purposes, a version of Danny. What we're seeing there is possibly foreshadowing something that we're going to get later in the year. I'm sure Clara will bring it up. And then, of course, the biggest thing of all, and it's so funny because... You know, on Facebook and places like that this week, I've been reading comments from people saying, oh, best episode of, you know, from people who generally hate Stephen Moffat, best episode of Doctor Who in ages, completely self-contained, loved it. Who do you think Gus was if he wasn't just another one of Missy's little acolytes? The whole thing, that episode is more than any other and even more than the Angel story in series five. That episode is a juncture in the story arc for the series. Definitely, without question. Mm. I don't think there's any question that all that stuff, all the stuff about the mummy, all the stuff about the way the mummy's being operated, all the stuff about Gus, all the stuff about the experiment, all the stuff about where the dead bodies end up, all of that stuff's going to tie up in the finale. No question. That Gus isn't defined enough to be let... that's, That's just too open. It's Gus, Seb... Yeah. And there'll be another one called Rob. 
<laughs> you know, they're all going to be uh, three-letter abbreviated single-syllable boys' names, aren't they? All Missy's little fellas. Yeah, why Gus as well? Gus Honeybun. an odd name, isn't it, <clears throat> to choose or to have? Well, Gus and Seb, they're both sort of old-fashioned abbreviations of foreign names that have been anglicised from, a you know, possibly about a century ago. Gustav, Sebastian. And the next one, of course, would be Robert or Roberto, shortened <laughs> to Rob. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Mm. It just fits, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. Okay. Do you, do you know that for sure? Is that just a, a, a the No, I don't know that. Case? I know that from watching the programme. Okay. <clears throat> interesting to see how it unravels then. But won't you be shocked if not Gus really, or... Not really, no, to be perfectly honest. I think you're right. So I'm saying you'd be shocked if he doesn't, or if oh. <laughs> you don't get an explanation for all of that at the end of the series. Well, I, I yeah, I don't expect Gus to just disappear off the face of the planet. He shouldn't do. Anyway, we had a lot of dead bodies again. And a lot of the Doctor walking around not thinking too emotionally about it because he had to get on with the job. You know, you had that other... Well, you had, you had yeah, the same thing as you had last week, basically. Yeah. Exactly. Same and the same, same thing time. as you've been getting in microcosm throughout the series where somebody's life's on the line and the Doctor says, right, okay, can't do anything about that, but let's use it to make sure we can do something about the next one. Mm. Mm. And it's only the fact that he actually puts himself in harm's way instead of allowing, what was she called, Lydia or something? Mm. Audrey or something? Instead of letting her <laughs> die, he puts himself in harm's way yeah. to solve it. Which is a beautiful and perfect Doctor Who moment where you genuinely think he's going to use this woman. Because you've got to that point now where because other you've... people are being used to, to try and sort out the, the mystery, which is mm. a great idea as well. And you've got 66 seconds to work it out in. Fantastic. And it's been foreshadowed throughout the episodes of the series where he's done it time after time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Clara is, is led to believe and, you know, he's, he's acting a part and just trying to make them all think, right, I'm cold, I'm heartless, I need this woman here. You, well, need, that, to, you need to die just to break to in for it. a second, the Bang. bit where he's making Clara think that he's doing it genuinely makes the woman think he's going to do it genuinely. It's exactly the same as in Time Heist, where he needs to yeah. make them think the um, yeah. transporters are suicide pills or whatever it is, yeah. so that he doesn't believe, that the characters don't believe. It's all foreshadowed, and again, it goes back to Time Heist. Yeah, so he's getting, he's quite manipulative in that kind of Sylvester McCoy way, but not on such a grand scale. You know, he's got that. Oh, we'll find out how grand yeah, well, the scale we will, is at the end yeah, of the series, yeah, won't yeah, we? <laughs> yeah, maybe he's been playing a long game. How good was the casting, though? The casting's been amazing in this series. <gasps> David Bamber is the ship's captain. Yeah. Such yeah. an officious little prick, and you kept thinking it's a comedy character, <laughs> like in Paradise Towers. Yeah. And in the end, when it's his turn to die, and there was actually some genuine pathos in that it bit. Was. Mm. He was great. Mm. You yeah. Know. This is my end. I'll choose how I want to do it, sort of thing. You know, he's a great actor, and he's and he always plays those sorts of roles. And I thought, is he going to pull it out of the bag at the end? That's and they, so absolutely and they did, really didn't they? Would have to time their acting to make sure that it fitted. Oh, it's all in the editing suite. Isn't it? I know, but at the same time, you need to act at a particular pace in order to get it right, and that that must be quite tricky, I think, because it was sixty-six seconds of edits. And it needs to be timed and paced. and, and Well, actually, really if you well. watch the clock on your Isn't DVD it? player, as you watch the <laughs> clock on the top, they're all running at slightly different speeds to make sure they fit. 68. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> and tell me, did you think at any point that Frank Skinner's character was the one orchestrating the whole thing? I did, straight mm. from the, right from the beginning. Yeah, because I, th I think that was probably obvious. I think that was like a, 
he was the red herring for me. Straight away he comes out of the shadows and he's talking a little bit like this. It's a bit creepy. It's a bit too nice, a little bit almost like an android talking. It didn't quite... Somebody didn't else feel human. said. Mm. I thought he was a bit odd. And I don't know whether he was told to play like that, whether that's just his acting. Oh, he can't act. It's not his acting. I quite <laughs> liked him in this. And I thought he was, I was great. Talking to yeah, yeah, Dan and David Trigger. Dan Barrett, David Trigger tonight. And Dan just thought he was terrible all the way through. Really? Yeah. Whereas I thought... Yeah, it doesn't matter whether... new series, though. Uh, it doesn't matter whether Frank Skinner's a good actor or not. I thought what he was playing there suited mm. the part fine. Mm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You could and almost say it was written for him. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was delivered in, a, in an interesting way. But somebody way. else I, I saw online is saying, right, it's Frank Skinner coming back at the end. I'm going to find out he's behind it all, the whole arc. And I'm thinking, what earth are you talking about? He's the master, he's, isn't he? The, in a story like that, like, he's playing, I said in my review, he's playing Kylie Minogue. Yeah. In Voyage yeah. of the Damned, you throw in the servant character who can be the character that the Doctor connects with to humanise all the intellectual stuff that's going on in the story. And when I say intellectual stuff, I don't mean in, you know, Plato and Aristotle and all that kind of thing. I mean the sort of the writing stuff, the sort of thinking stuff, the plot stuff. You throw in a human being so that you've got some kind of anchor for the viewer at home and for the characters that you're following in the story, just to be an anchor for your sort of emotional investment. Kylie Minogue in Voyage of the Damned. And, you know, that's the reason why I brought up that analogy, because ostensibly they're fairly similar stories. And in this one, it's Frank Skinner. It's, he comes in and my immediate thought is, ah, oh, he's playing Kylie Minogue. And you go through the rest of the story, and it turned <laughs> out he was playing Kylie Minogue. Yes, yeah, And then when the doctor enough. said to him, do you want to stay on mm. and fix the stuff that's not right in the TARDIS can't remember what it says and I'm thinking oh just say yes Frank I know I thought the same I thought the same and then you could just have Frank Skinner pop up at the end of every episode and say what's Absolutely. been going on this yeah, week like, yeah yeah we both said the same we thing we both said the same thing yeah. Yeah. almost like a butler character you know yeah. and Alfred to yeah. his Batman except and you know he wouldn't have to be the major <laughs> a major player in going out and solving no, he could film all of his scenes in one go at the start yeah. of the series and you could just edit them into the episodes as and when required. I just have this this lovely moment where the Doctor would come in, uh, you know, and he'd be sitting and go, oh, well, you know, I've, I've fixed this thing for you. Now, what's that? Uh, oh, oh, don't worry, you'll find out. He walks mm, out and turns mm. around and the, the, the TARDIS is a piano. He's fixed the comedian circuit. Now, that would imagine him rushing back and going, no, <laughs> put it yeah, back to what yeah, it was. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked with Matt Smith's Doctor, but Peter Capaldi's Doctor, it would work brilliantly. It really would. Because he doesn't want to bother with all that stuff. He no, just wants to go think. around we reading start, books and thinking. We yeah. start a yeah. petition yeah. then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would be hilarious. Get Frank Skinner in as a, like, um, the, the robot master from um, Scream of the Schalke. Yeah. Just call him the engineer. Yeah, exactly. The, the doctor's master. butler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And anyway. and the guy who played the scientist as well. The um, can't remember his name. Oh, never mind. I know, but he was great. He also was great. Yeah, everybody yeah. was great in it. Mm. I remember the scientist. Sorry, I've forgotten him. Yeah, you know the guy who was researching the mummy. I'm trying to think what else. He's researching doing. the scrolls and stuff. Mm. Researching oh, yeah. the legend. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, not scientist, but well, you know what I mean. Well, maybe he was. Again, all all perfectly paced with the acting. Um, it, it was just really well done. You could imagine it being a play. You could get you could do a play of this actually. 
because it's quite self-contained. It is self-contained. It's all in one carriage, isn't it? It's in one carriage. And how beautiful was it when it got stripped down to the basics of the scientist lab? I was so in me. I was thinking, no. (laughs) But it's so Jules Verne. It's beautiful. (laughs) But clever. Very, very good. I love the shots of the train going through space as well. I take it people didn't have a problem with the train going through space as much as they had a problem with the moon being an egg then. It's like, you know, what's the point of having steam coming out? No one's going to see it. (laughs) Really. Yeah. It's just a... It's there for effect. Yeah. If they were going to do that, then yes, they would have some kind of steam effect. I kind of imagine it's from the same period or the same uh, star system as the people that made the Titanic. You know, Mm. that kind of bonkers Mm. mentality of we love the old Earth. The old kind of earth files, aren't they? Terra files, or whatever you want to call them. And they have taken these ideas and gone, oh, let's put this in space. And oh, yeah, 20th century, 19th century, let's let's make it like this. And yeah, it was it was brilliant. And the fact that half of them are holograms and they just disappeared out of existence. Mm. I was just to save on paying all that <laughs> cast all the extras. of extras for being there across the entire <laughs> two weeks or yeah, long fo- to, to record it. And Foxes was there. Oh, yeah, her version mm. of um, the Queen song. What did you think of that? Personally, I was disappointed, but that's a personal why? thing. Disappointed in the song or oh, disappointed why? in the... It was really good. I was, do you know, as soon as I heard it, I thought, oh, no, no, why? And then it went into it. I don't, I don't really like Foxes, and I, that's a great track, but, you know, we've heard it so many times. Actually, yeah. I thought it was really good. I thought it was a pretty good version of it. And she is, hmm. it was David Adams pointed out, the lyrics and how they fit the doctor and that kind of kind of completely went over my head yeah I, I absolutely of course actually, i immediately thought, thought it was going to be to do with the story because i'm having a good time yeah yeah so and that's fair enough i understand why i was there like a supersonic man out of you and all this kind of stuff yeah, yeah. i just thought it was a bit x factor oh stop it was really? like an x factor cover yeah it's when not, they just well, put it into a different style and think, oh isn't this clever and it's I not really better than the titanic song and the Runaway Bride song, you know, those yeah, were like, yeah. and even The Devil in Me, the no, that was... kind of musical thing. Those mm. those three tracks felt very forced and like I felt a bit embarrassed to watch them. Yeah. Didn't, didn't like them. This one, I just thought this suits perfectly. And yeah. It, just, it, it was done really well. I understand. I understand. It's just a Besides, thing. Just not like I'm, not, I'm not a Queen fan. She had no, to sing a song <laughs> in that style on that train. Yeah. Given the period and everything no, else. No, no, absolutely. So... I completely understand why it was there and I understand how it worked. It's fine. But it's yeah. just on a personal level. I the, just... other, the other piece of music in Doctor Who over the last 10 years or whatever that really suited was Tainted Love and Britney Spears. In, in, in yeah. That, that suited perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Toxic, wasn't it? Toxic was excellent. Um, mm. Excellently played out. Did you both notice that this was the Clara Light episode? Yeah. She was locked away for a bit of it. Oh, yeah, she was quite locked Yeah, she had. I'm guessing that what they've done is, normally when you do uh, double-banked episodes, right, you'd have, say, I can't can't be entirely sure how long it takes to record an episode, but say it's 15 days, right? You'd have the Doctor on one of the sets for 14 days and on the other one for one, and Clara on one of the sets for 14 days and on the other one for one. So they both have one day together on each mm. of the two sets. But here, apparently, what it seems is that they've given it, instead of 15 days, 20 days, so that you can actually have a decent bit of each of the characters in the other one's story. Because next week is the Doctor Light episode, and he turns up in the trailer. Looks like he's got a full part in that story. If next week's is the Doctor Light, I'm sure it is. So next week's looks like it'll have about as much of the Doctor as this one had of Clara, from right. what I can tell. 
two-dimensional beings yeah. trying to be three D. Mm-hmm. So she's in throughout so the story. Her situation. Well, she's in throughout the story, but you can tell she only had about four days' work. Mm-hmm. Graffiti came to life. I mean, the idea. Oh is, no, it's not that, isn't it? Oh, no, okay. I don't know any more. I love it. if it's what I think it is. I well, next adore story. the idea. So I'll also see next that. week's Douglas McKinnon. <gasps> and this was Paul Wilmshurst. Those two are the two... I mean, all the direction in the series has been great. Mm, mm. But those two are the two that have really shone. Robert of Sherwood, I still don't do. I think it was bad. And also the guy who did Robert of Sherwood did The Caretaker and the direction on that oh, was perfect. Amazing. I still can't get it. Maybe yeah. it was the editing. I, I don't know think, what it was. I yeah, think it was just... Lots of bits that yeah. just annoyed me. I think it was just an inconsistency in the script, and I think any director struggles when the script doesn't quite punch. Doesn't doesn't quite sell its angle because mm. the director needs to understand what angle the writer's got, and I think sometimes with Mark Gatiss, it's hard to tell quite. I just what think it's very way odd to that, approach that, it. We won a bit. We didn't give it bad marks though, did we? No, I, no. I don't. Oh, it's but tremendous I don't understand fun. Why Mark Gatiss would have been given? This one, when they're being very Hinchcliffe at the moment, and surely you'd say that one stuck out like a sore thumb. It did. Didn't so it? come mm. on, then, Mark, make something dark. This is your. You forte. know what it felt like? It felt like a David Tennant's story that had been written for Matt Smith, and what it had to do with <laughs> Peter Capaldi, I couldn't tell. Yeah, <laughs> didn't it? It just yeah. felt like a David Tennant mm. story, except oh, yeah. with Matt Smith's Doctor in it, yeah. being played by Peter Capaldi. You're absolutely right. David Tennant would have um, stormed that one, wouldn't he? He would. And, and yeah, spoon, and Matt Smith that, would have as David well. David Tennant spoon thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you're right. Yeah, I Very just felt like a hangover completely from out of place. And it's the only one, apart from what they shoehorned in about the robots looking for the promised land. It's the only one that appeared to have nothing whatsoever to do with any of the ongoing storylines. There's no Clara and Danny in there. And Clara and Danny have been in every single other episode since Into the Dalek. There's yeah. And actually, it's very old. It's that kind of Rose uh, Doctor thing again, isn't it? Where you get David Tennant and Rose being all very close. And then they go off and do Girl in the Fireplace, which is my only problem with Girl in the Fireplace. Is that David yeah. Tennant, you know, apparently falls for... Madame de Pompadour and forgets Rose. Meanwhile, like Rose, who's angry with Mickey, is suddenly yeah. thick as thieves again with him. Yeah, yeah. so it all de- you know the relationship thing got kind of thrown out of the water to sacrifice that sacrifice their character development and relationship for a brilliant story, mm. which which it was. Um, and the same kind of things was, was happening with Clara because she was just starting to get to know Danny. We just started, you know, we could see there was something going to, about to happen, and, and then suddenly get... she falls of Robert of Sherwood. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what? Yeah, <laughs> it was mad. As well. Oh. <laughs> How many jealousies has got here? Is there anything we've missed nice about tonight. this one? Should we read some of the reviews and see if anybody mm. brings up points that we ought to cover? Because I can't remember what we've covered and what we haven't now. Kieran Hyman says, Mummy on the Orient Express pre-show. This is what he wrote before it was on. Well, Mummy on the Orient Express is about to start. It's 3.30am and I've got an eight minute wait until the pre-titles begin. Trying to work out where he's writing from now. Mm. Oh, he's Australian. So he was watching it on the Sunday morning. Uh-huh. Currently watching some late night music video show that the ABC... Oh, there you go. I should have just read on into the next sentence, shouldn't I? <laughs> Australian Broadcasting Company decides to show for hours around midnight. For four hours around midnight. Well, I'm actually listening to your Kill the Moon podcast with the TV on mute, but there's a song on called Washington by Clementine, or maybe it's Clementine by Washington. It looks weird. There's a giant rat and a panther chasing a dismembered arm that is floating across a mountainous landscape. They're not giant rats. 
He says, I'll probably have more interesting thoughts on the episode after I've watched it. <laughs> See you then. Surprisingly enough. Thank you, Sean. And then he comes Kira. back and says, Hey up, howdy do and good day, mates. I'm kowtowing as I type. So A up is me. Howdy do. That's gotta be you, Lee. And Simon, you're obviously then good day, mates. Okay. Okay. Go on, do it. Good day, mates. Howdy do. Hey up. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <clears throat> well, says Kieran, now that I've seen Murder on the Orient Express, I can tell you that it was brilliant. Mm. Starting off with a terrifying mummy in the opening seconds. Mm. Actually, we saw the mummy in the... Normally they make you wait. Yeah, and then we had it straight away. from mm. the start. Mm. Surprising. And a brilliant design it was too. But I tell you what, they couldn't have done it any other way because if they'd, uh, if they'd have not shown it, then they wouldn't have been able to demonstrate that she's the only one who can see it. Yeah. On the out of phase thing mm. explanation felt very... Star sort of... Trek. <laughs> but it also felt... <laughs> but going back to what bit, we've actually. seen this year, yeah. it also felt like something had a time heist. Mm. The kind of... Well, actually, yeah. that bomb yeah, they yeah. used in the lift was a phase thing, wasn't it? Mm. Was yeah, yeah. yeah. And the kind of, just the kind of equipment they were actually, using. Yeah, we're getting some dimensional stuff going on, because that'll be next week as well, I presume. Messing around with dimensions. Yeah, it looks like yes. it. Yeah, it is, yeah. Nice. Um, this is the second episode to have a title that plays on a previous piece of work after Robin of Sherwood. I've not got much to say on this episode, apart from how great it all was. The foretold mummy was great, Frank Skinner was great, and I hope to see his character again. Capaldi was great, the plot was great, Eric Sayward was great, Foxes was great, even <laughs> though she was in it for... I tried to skip over that. Foxes was great, even though she was in it for less than what could have been expected from the announcement alongside Frank Skinner back mm. when it was made. Yeah. It was also clever the way they fooled me into thinking that Clara wasn't going to be in this one, which was a surprise, and it's true they did. Mm. I'm glad that we didn't have to sit through a laborious Clara and Doctor talk it out and become friends again scene because that would be time-consuming. Better to get right into the action as they did. And in fact, that scene on the beach at the end was beautifully shot. Mm. Mm. Beautifully played, beautifully shot. Peter, again, doing the thing that Danny is doing, which is this very natural acting. So he's been, he's been given the words. And it's kind of like, OK, just... just play it as you would as actually you, think you, you don't really it. get the best of peter capaldi until you watch it for a second time and you know what his lines are going to be and you can watch how he delivers them as well as yeah, the doctor is aware of how he's behaving now because he yeah. takes the mick out of it doesn't he yeah he sort of says well of course i let them all i let them all suffocate and uh i just rescued you yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. because he's thinking she's well, expecting he had that to do great like that. scene at the end yeah. of kill the moon which when she called him out on it and actually after having been really bullshit about it he suddenly becomes really apologetic about it mm. and without actually apologizing he's very cap in hand and this episode those scenes at the start where they're in the carriage having a drink and just propped up against the, the his acting in that was astonishing and hers too they both really sold the idea of the last hurrah Oh, I, I missed something. It's probably blindingly obvious. What's the thing about the lying? That was repeated a couple of times. Oh, they pit, you know, some of the guests were picking up on, he's a liar. He's a liar. The doctor. The first time he was saying about a planet which they said had been dead for thousands of years. So yeah, yeah, but she, why put it in the script? Was it, what was the reason again? There was there a reason behind that? 
because it foreshadows the fact that he lies again to Clara at the end after he's lied to her last week. Except obviously it's not lies, but they're calling it lying. The way that she's been lying to Danny and Danny's still lying to her. But it's a theme else of the series. Something that was a lie. It's a theme of the series. And there was a look from another character. It may have been, may have been the same woman, actually. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But there was kind of like, a, almost like people in this time don't lie or people on this carriage. No, I think there was I a subplot this... in that particular story between those characters that there was deceptions going on. I'm going to have to watch it a second time to pick yeah. up on what you're talking about because it didn't strike me as out of place on the first watch. Normally when something's it's in that very, script very that isn't doesn't jump out to you but it's repeated a few times there's a reason for it isn't there yeah but no when i say it didn't jump out of me what i meant was i understood it yeah yeah so it didn't jump out as me as being something i needed to try and understand okay i was looking for something that probably wasn't there but you never know well i think two things one you were looking for something more than what was there because i think it was just a thing between the characters but also the reason it was a thing between the characters was because it reflected what was happening between the regular characters elsewhere in the series And also at the end, when it's the big line. Jamie Matheson did something astonishing with that episode, really. Considering he's a guest writer, he's come in and he has boiled the entire series arc down into one episode. Mm-hmm. All the stuff about what's going on between the Doctor, um, Danny and Clara, is all happening in a microcosm in that episode. That whole relationship happens in a microcosm in that episode. All the stuff about the soldiers in that episode and all the stuff about Missy's in that episode... Everything from the entire series is all in that episode. So it's very natural, that bit about the last hurrah where they're talking in that corridor. I mean, that's a very natural situation. I've been in similar situations in relationships. And, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And my friends yeah. have. Absolutely. You recognise it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I mean about the maturity. Right Just to finish my thought, yeah, though. Yeah. And do you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think I said about in Hamlet, when the players come in, and they do a silent version for two minutes before they do the full version, mm. the full production. Mm. This episode was like the silent version for two minutes. It's the whole story of the season in one episode. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Mm. So, but carry on, sorry. No, no, it's okay. I was just going to say that the maturity, um, you know, we're all talking about the natural way people are acting um, and then the things they're saying feels like, you know, situations that grown-ups have, people have. And that's a mature way of putting a series across as opposed to kind of bouncing around with a mop and a, and a fez. No, we should talk about in a minute after Which we've I gone through love, Kieran's... Don't get me wrong. <laughs> See, we've not talked about the 8.30 start times and is it still for children. We'll come back to that. Let's get through Kieran's email first because we've got one more after that and we'll save that one for the end. So, where were we? He's, oh, he says, Eric Saywood was great. Fox was great, even though she was in it less than could have been expected from her announcement alongside Frank Skinner. It was also clever the way they fooled me into thinking that Clara wasn't going to be in this one, which was a surprise. I'm glad that we didn't have to sit through a... Bl- oh, we've read a word, haven't I? <laughs> okay. But the sarcophagus plot point didn't really go anywhere. And was everybody using iPads? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> the machines that they were using were <laughs> like iPads, weren't they? I think they were. I do rather like the idea that Apple have monopolised all the technology of the future. When he says he likes the idea, I don't think he likes the idea that they will, but the fact that uh, TV is showing that they will. Yeah. But I always think, I always go back to the, the RTD thing, where stuff gets recycled. I mean, we've got to accept the fact that people 5,000 years in the future are going to wear jeans and T-shirts, right? So, And not big silver outfits like I would like them to. But um, uh, So know, why the, wouldn't they use tablets? Well, exactly. So, you know, maybe Retro, it's... Or in a train. I don't know, the end actually. Of the, world, the end of the world, they wheeled out an iPod, which was just a jukebox, right? Yeah. So, same deal. You know, you're on a deal express. Maybe they've just got a few... No, of the no, 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 no. You've kind of missed something there, Lee. Right, what have I missed? 
yeah, computers went down to laptops, went down to mobile phones, and have now gone back up again to tablets mm. because the mobile phone is too small. Yep. You can watch a telly on a mobile phone. You can write an essay on a mobile phone, but yeah. it's much easier to do it on a tablet. Yeah. So the tablet has become, because it's flat, because it doesn't open, because it's basically like a A4 piece of card that you have in your hand with a screen on it, it's the natural and best size. Seriously, it's the best bit of tech that we've ever had in our lifetime. Because we were looking at that in Star Trek and all those things that we grew up with, going, God, I can't wait to control lots of stuff on a telly that's about as big as our palm. And, and now you've got it. Now we've got it. It's not because it's a piece of will. Shh. <laughs> and the best you thing about... Like Apple, do you? <laughs> and the very best thing about tablets is when you've Ouch, got a headache, sorry. they'll help you get rid of it. They will, yeah. My niece came over yesterday, and because she's got a slightly bigger tablet than my daughter, she gets rid of a headache even quicker. <laughs> yeah, she said, she said, "Oh, oh, look at your tablet! It just looks like a big phone." Mm. <laughs> Phones are too small for some of the stuff you want to do. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, Blackberries can't do that with a hobby. Sending me like PDFs. It. I keep looking at on my phone. The thing I hate about tablets, though, is a don't like typing on the screen. B, where'd you stick your five-inch discs? <laughs> you know, I'm still using five-inch discs. I want a slot for my five-inch discs. Really? You've got floppy discs? Not the Apple ones. All right. Can't you know, put anything. You've always had a problem. Nobody would stick your floppy. Kieran says, back on the subject of kill the moon, wouldn't turning off the national power grid have some sort of detrimental effect on the nation, switching things <laughs> off that ought not to be switched off? Actually, I think those things are taken into account, actually, when it comes to the national grid. Things like hospitals tend to be separated from people's homes, mm -hmm. etc. and so on. And, of course, we don't know how long how long those national grids were turned off for. They've got generators anyway, haven't they? They've got PUSs. Uh, oh, and he says, oh, and if this podcast... See, here's another example of an email that I ought to have read before we started recording. Oh, yeah. He says, Owen, if this podcast doesn't start with and for the next 66 seconds we'll be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to, oh. I'll be rather nonplussed. I missed this. I really missed a trick there, didn't I? No, you can say yeah. it at the end. We'll edit it in the beginning. And then this won't make any sense whatsoever. <gasps> Brilliant. But then we'll miss the food news that we did at the start. Oh, no. Keep the food news in. Okay. All right, I'll edit this bit out instead. <laughs> <laughs> So he says, "Rightio, then that's all I've got. Except you know who else is still great? Jenna Coleman is still yeah, great, she is. Mm -hmm. and so was Samuel Anderson in the few scenes he had. See the foretold, be the foretold, <laughs> then die. That's how he signs off. That's lovely, isn't it? Mm. It's really Scooby Doo this episode. I love that. I was thinking that you know, when when we had the title and I saw the first couple of seconds, I thought this is Scooby Dooby Doo. Where are you? Scooby Doo at his best." It's like Which isn't Scooby-Doo. It should wasn't... Been, should have been. It wasn't a romp, though. That was the great no, thing about this episode. Romp. It was so the opposite of what you exactly. expected from the title. Oh, God. This, what, this is getting awful. Do you know what the whole point of this podcast used to be? That we all argued a bit. But now we're just agreeing all the time, which is even more terrible. Well, that's all right. We might get this one down to... Well, I still don't like Queen. Hey! Good, you're right. He actually. don't like Queen, He's but not having, having a, a good, good time, time. Having <laughs> a good time. <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you what we have missed. is Pisa Capaldi channeling Tom Baker when he talks to himself. 
Did you pick that up? He yeah, he does yeah. an impression of him. Well, a lot of people didn't. My wife didn't get it, and a few others didn't pick it up. I didn't get it. Right, he's in the cabin, and he's talking to himself, which I absolutely adore, because you can imagine the guy's been on his own for a month and a few other times, and he's he's sitting on top of his TARDIS in one of them, you know, and meditating. So he's, he's obviously running things through his head, and listening, he's talking to himself. I like the fact that he talks out loud and he argues with himself. But then there's a moment where he literally channels Tom Baker, and he sounds just like him. Yeah, yeah. You know, all this sort of business. And... um. Yes, he's like arguing himself. And then two minutes later, he fishes into his pocket, pulls out a cigarette tin, and it's filled with jelly Jelly babies. Lovely. It's lovely. He did an impression of Tom Baker. But then I think he's been doing... Yeah. (laughs) Well, he did... um... Well, the other week he did Hi, didn't he? Yes. And what did he do last week? Was it last week or the week before? He did another one as well. He has been thrown in little, little cameos bits. of previous doctors. Oh, he did Peter Davison in Deep Breath, didn't he? Laying down for half the episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> panting. I thought about the panting acting. <laughs> I thought so too. <laughs> yeah, I just needed the zero cabinet. But this was the episode I was kind of expecting going in to be another robot of Sherwood. Mummy on the Orange Express. I thought, oh, they've thrown in a light one halfway through. And so, well, as soon as it started, well, the pre-titles, you think, okay, yeah, fair enough. That is what we're going to have. And then as soon as you come out of the title sequence, you've got Doctor and Clara having that conversation. One of the best bits of writing all year, and the, one of the best bits of acting and directing all year as well. So and all of a sudden... Totally consistent all the way Yeah, through. and the, the episode is something completely different from what you expected. Yeah. can't believe how good this year's been. Okay, here's the question. I bumped in. I didn't bump into. My dad came round the other day. He doesn't watch Doctor Who. He watched the first one, and he's not watched any more since. And he came round uh, the other day, and he said, "Doctor Who's on at eight thirty now." And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Is that because it's not for kids anymore?" I know. It's weird. Yeah. So here's no, I was having that conversation, and then with with somebody on Facebook, I was having a conversation. I was kind of agreeing, and then thought. Isn't that? Is it? It's bloody strictly. That's all it is. But it, it's kind of okay. I don't mind it. Somebody was worried that, you know, because I used to be worried about what people thought of my television program. I was worried that the nation, if the nation doesn't watch it, it's going to go away. I've been feeling that for God knows how long. Actually, since the viewing figures were up by a quarter of a million. But this o- week. only this year, I've actually decided I really, really don't care. I, I'm enjoying this. I don't care if it goes a bit more dark, if it goes a bit more adult. You know, um, I love kids. I've got kids. Sod the kids. They've had their time. <laughs> They've had their fun. I don't think... I, I think it is a little bit more grown up. But you know what? When we were growing up, we had the Tom Baker years, the Hinchcliffe years, the Genesis, kids, Genesis of the Dalek. Genesis of the Dalek. That kind of, yeah, exactly. It's it's We had Pyramids of Mars. It, they, they were genuinely creepy and scary and quite grown up. And they worked for kids. We watched them as kids, and that's what made us Doctor Who fans. Yes, mm. and this of, is the same as that. It's the same I thing. don't think it really is more grown up. I think they're dealing with the characters in a more, more mature way. Yeah. But when you look at the stories they're telling, no. it's still a mummy running around a train exactly. killing people. Yeah. <laughs> and a dragon in a moon. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you know... Bonkers. And everything else we've seen so far this year. Wow, the Doctor and his companion go on a journey inside a Dalek and meet Robin Hood. It's just as much for kids as it always was before. 
But about the change in time, you know the thing I've always said about the Hinchcliffe years? In that, as kids, it felt like you were breaking a taboo because what you were seeing mm. was uh, sanitised versions of ex-certificate movies mm. and it felt like you shouldn't be watching it, mm. but it was on at five o'clock and it was kind fine. Of like a carry-on screaming thing. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of the thing yeah, where you're sitting scary. in front of the telly thinking... Your parents are behind you, and any minute now, they're going to walk over to the telly and change the channel because it's not suitable. I think this year has been even more like that. I think that's what they're tapping into this year. I don't think it's that it's not for kids anymore. No, I don't think so. By any stretch of the imagination, I think they've tapped into making it feel to the kids as though it's something that they're watching behind their parents' backs on And I think the Strictly thing, you know, it is a couple of hours long, for God's sake, isn't it? So it has pushed it... it I'll come to Strictly in a second. It has pushed it Because, to my mind, there's a very definite reason for that. Okay. It feels, but, feels, feels like it, it has, to me, you'll give us a reason, but to me, it feels like it's on, it's been pushed forward because of it, and actually it's done it some good, in my, my eyes, because, like you say, it's that same kind of thing of, oh, can I step to watch Doctor Who now? Well, that's the other nine. thing as well, of course, is Doctor Who's on a Saturday night. So, A, that's the one night a week where kids can stay up if their parents want to let them. And B, there's always been a thing where, because we know that kids watch it from about the age of four, right? Even though it's ostensibly aimed at eight to 12 year olds. But so we've always had people saying, I couldn't let my kids watch Doctor Who this week because it looked too scary. I've had to watch it myself and show it to them tomorrow morning or whatever. Mm kind of difficult to do when it's on at half past six kind of difficult to send your kids mm, mm. into the other room and say you can't watch doctor who <laughs> but when it's on at half past eight much easier to make a decision do we let them stay up to watch it now or do they get to watch it tomorrow morning after mm. we've seen it in mm. advance mm. but the thing about strictly is and they tried it the other way around last year doctor who has got a very specific audience that will sit down and watch it when it's on but Doctor Who's also got a very large audience that will watch it regardless of when it's on because it's a not appointment television like it used to be because you've got all these devices now that can capture it. Mm. Like Stephen Moffat said, the broadcast is like the publishing date and you can watch it anytime you like after that. But Doctor Who fans will record it and watch it later mm. or catch up with it on iPlayer or the BBC Three repeats or whatever. And actually, the thing is, the overnights might be in the region of 5 million, adding another 2 million for the consolidated, but it gets another million and a half on top of that on plus seven. Do you know what plus seven is? No. Right. And then I'll come back to the point about Strictly. The overnight figures are the number of people who watch it live or within a couple of hours of broadcast before the end of the day. The consolidated figures come out a week later, and those are the people who recorded it on that first broadcast and watched it within seven days. The plus seven figures include all the people who watched it on iPlayer during those seven days, all the people who watched it on iPlayer Live, because a lot of people don't actually watch it on televisions these days, but watch it on their tablets, mm. and includes all the new people who watched it on BBC Three. Mm. So the plus seven figures is the total of every individual who watched it across the space of those seven days. Taking into account that some people watched it on BBC and then watched it on iPlayer, those aren't counted. So, And the only plus seven figures they've published this year were for Deep Breath. Deep Breath got just under seven on BBC One, 
got, I think, nine on the consolidated and got nearly 11 on the plus seven. So actually, in that week, 11 million people watched Deep Breath. So if you do the same maths with all the other episodes, they're all getting about five on broadcast, about seven on consolidated. And so presumably they'll get another million to a million and a half mm. on the plus sevens. So actually, it's still being watched by about somewhere between eight and nine million people. Mm -hmm. Same as it always has. And these platforms didn't exist when Russell T. Davis was in charge, mm. or they were very much in their infancy. So actually, what we're seeing now is a series that is getting just as many, if not slightly more, perhaps. So than you've got the word of mouth thing church. going on as well, haven't you? You've got somebody saying, do you see Saturday Doctor Who, or you really should watch it? And people are able to watch it. That never used to happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the free view box I've got, which you gave me, JR, probably about seven or eight years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? Did, yeah. Years and years ago, has, has finally decided to stop working. <laughs> so the last really? three weeks, we've not been able to watch, I've not been able to watch it live with Finn. Which is a shame because he had his birthday party and they were all ready to watch it and they couldn't. But anyway, we did something else. Um, we are watching it as soon as it gets uploaded now. So I kind of watch it. Do I, I think it's it? about 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night you can watch it. Oh, does it no, not start no, immediately after? It's... I think it's fairly instant. Actually. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I that's, think... that's what I was told by Finn. So maybe, well, the idea maybe... is that as soon as it finishes it on the telly, you can, and you you can, can watch, watch it live. BBC live. On yeah. iPlay. Yeah. On iPlay. You can watch yeah. it live. Yeah. See? See? Look at me. Don't, don't look at that face. Techno cretin. <laughs> Feel so sorry for me, though, in that face. Okay, Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> what about Strictly it? Come Dancing and X Factor and other programmes like that, right? If you don't watch it live. You can watch it live on iPlayer, are you sure? Yes. I promise you. All right. Just type watch it. BBC One Live into Google and it will right. take you to even the page on iPlayer where you watch it. You can even watch Sharklight ITV live as well. Yeah, you can watch anything right. live on the internet these I've got days. Xbox, so you can do it through that, can you? I'd imagine yeah, he probably so. could, if actually. He, yeah, right. if, he has, if he has iPlayer, he'll have iPlayer Live. Okay, right. So the, the point about <laughs> the the game shows, the um, not game shows, what are they called? The Reality. Oh. Yeah, what's the word for them? Shit. Things like X Shit, Factor yeah. and Strictly. If you don't watch it live, it kind of loses its point because the whole idea of it is to watch it live to find out who wins and who gets knocked out. Yeah. So less people, fewer people rather, tend to watch things like Strictly, uh, uh, tend to either record them and watch them later, or watch them on catch-up, or watch them on repeat. The point was, if you put Doctor Who on before Strictly, then the people who don't necessarily want to make an appointment with Doctor Who, but are happy to catch up with it when they're ready, will record it and watch it while Strictly's on. But, so that, it's not that that eats into Strictly's audience, because Strictly's audience is a given. Mm. That audience is going to be that audience, regardless of what you do with Doctor Who. It's not that it eats into Strictly's audience, but what it means is you don't get anybody coming from Doctor Who to Strictly. Because the people who want to watch Doctor Who aren't necessarily going to stay on and watch Strictly unless they were already intending to. Mm. But if you do it the other way around... Strictly, it's got this massive audience of people who want to sit down and watch Strictly. And when it comes to its end, X Facts has already started. They've missed the first half hour and Doctor Who's on. Everybody knows what Doctor Who is, but not as many people watch Doctor Who as watch Strictly. But you'll get more floaters going into Doctor Who from Strictly than you will going into Strictly from Doctor Who. Mm. Because those people who are watching Strictly are watching it live. You get 
plenty of floaters in X Factor. Mm. Yeah. But the point is... <laughs> I was agreeing with you up until the point where you said floaters. Sorry. It's just the one. I know, that's what made me think about X Factor. <laughs> but you're right, it's a bleed through. It's basically people sitting watching Strictly for that's two hours. You're comatose or asleep on the settee and it's just on. It just goes straight. You just leave it. You might yeah. Doctor Who. Good. So I reckon that you know maybe the figures will be up. Um, you're more like you're more likely to get casual viewers watching Doctor Who because they've just finished watching Strictly than you are going to get casual viewers watching Strictly because they've just finished watching Doctor Who. Because mm. the kind of people who watch Doctor Who aren't necessarily going to stay on and watch Strictly. They're more likely to record Doctor Who if it's on at half past six and watch it at half past seven. Mm. Or you get people <laughs> who work really hard like we do who fall asleep watching Strictly. And they just leave their tellies on because they've fallen asleep. So they get yeah, Doctor Who gets the ratings yeah. as well. So yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. As well. They can sleep through well, it. That's okay. kind of well, ratings don't actually work like that because the way they count them is only if you actually watched it. How do they know? What, they, what? They're not KPIs or something. No, it's still done on a people fill in forms basis. Actually, we did that for a while. I remember that. What? About 20 odd years ago. I, I remember my mum did it for a, a short period of time, if I remember rightly. Oh, what? did you? think so, yeah. yeah. What do you mean? People actually sit down and they do the audience appreciation thing? Yeah, yeah. That still happens now? Yeah. How, do, how can when I When it all it? went digital, they were supposed to be That's turning just, over... Have you ever seen Toast and Matt Berry? You just sounded just like him. When it all went digital... <laughs> Toast and Matt Berry, was Sorry, that? Sorry, move on. Some people know what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Toast. Is what, it a sitcom Q-tips record. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a comedy series. Sitcom. Oh, an actor. Watch it. Just watch it. You will love oh, it. Oh, I missed that. Anyway, carry on. Mm. I think that was it, wasn't it? What was I saying? When it all went yeah. digital. Oh, when it all went digital, they were supposed to be changing it over to a system where they worked out what every machine was tuned into. But the trouble with that is, if you've got Doctor Who on, they don't know whether one person's sitting there watching it, or if all your mates have come around. Exactly. So, if you get a sample audience to fill in a form, and six of those people say, and I had 12 people there, you know, you get to add those figures oh, in. Can, can I do that? How do I apply to write? I don't know. You write to Oh, blog. no, I think that we will find they probably pick the people, not the other way around. Oh, so it's a bit like... Because um, people who nominate for things like, jury, like that watch it? certain types of programme, so you're not getting com- a completely... Right. Yeah, it's like you've being got on jury. You've got to be picked. Well, yeah, they want to make sure they've got a balanced cross-section, don't they? It's like when people give reviews on TripAdvisor, it's only certain types of people reviews on TripAdvisor. It's like when I've always said and I don't do this so I'm you know I'm not as good as my word here but if somebody stops you from market research and you're inclined to say no go away yeah you're probably exactly the person they need yeah market research is there for a reason yeah you know it's there to tailor the things that whatever company is produces to the people Absolutely. who need it. This is me going into patronising mode again. I just think <laughs> I started doing all the surveys for a while because yeah. I just thought, oh, it's better that somebody intelligent does these surveys. Well, the, and he didn't thing. nominate us, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But the Can point just... is, if you're the kind <laughs> of person who goes around looking for market research to fill in, you're the wrong kind of person because it's not your opinion that they're looking for. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, we did have one more email. Oh, can I just quickly say, there's a point I made on Facebook, because it, it, this is the sort of thing that winds me up, is, ironically, we had Foxes on Doctor Who, but on X Factor, you had one of the singers doing Fox's version of Pharrell Williams' Happy. Oh, uh, yeah. Where they mixed it with Massive Attack, yeah. which is really, really lovely, the original yeah, version of Foxes did. And the girl 
not necessarily the girl's fault, but inadvertently gave her the credit for that idea. Because you had that, um, what's she called? Ugly Spice, what's she called? I can't remember. <laughs> she, she was saying, oh, oh no, I, Ugly I think Spice, it's also known as All Spices. <laughs> <laughs> Nutmeg. Yeah, Old Spice. Um, saying, oh, I think it's brilliant what you did with that song there. Like that. And um, somebody's told me today that on YouTube, that girl on X Factor listening to that song got 250 odd thousand viewings on YouTube, whereas the Fox's original only had 95. So I'd just like to say to anyone listening to this, if you're fascinated as to. Actually, I think they're asleep, watch... but keep going. Yeah, well, <laughs> just listen to the Fox's original, not. Fox's that's a, original. That's, that's a mint, kind of isn't mint. it? <laughs> <laughs> and on that, let's move on. But credit where it's due. Absolutely. Bloody, I can't F on here, can I? But I would say effing X Factor. God, I hate that. Tristan Alfaro writes from Perth in Western, Western Australia and says, G'day, blue box buggers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to hear JR try his Australian accent again. God, Here are some thoughts on the last two episodes. Oh, it should be that. <clears throat> Kill the Moon was good, but I feel there were too many beats missing that would have helped flesh out the story. If any story should have been a two-parter, it was definitely this one. Actually, here's a point. What would you have called these hypothetical two-parts? I would pick Save the Moon for Episode 1 and Kill the Moon for Episode 2. <laughs> I love the way you're sitting as well. Do you think all Australians yeah. sit like that? With their legs apart and hands on hips? It's you need to go job. up at the end of the sentence as well. Only yeah, if you're a female. Oh, only if you're female. All mm-hmm. oh, right. Really? Okay. Do you think this one's called Tristan and it's a girl? No. Okay. <clears throat> I'll go back to English now because it's too difficult. Thank goodness. On the subject of Mammy on the Orient Express in space, this has been one of the best episodes of what is shaming up to be one of the finest seasons of Doctor Who since the show's return. Kapow. <laughs> This is really difficult to do. It's the worst accent I've ever heard. No, it isn't, because I did an impression of Declan on the radio the other day. That was Declan funny. Capaldi mm. and Calma work so well together. That's quite good. Could we be looking at the finest Doctor Companion team since Tom and Liz? Honourable mention also goes to Samuel Anderson. <laughs> I can't do it with you giving me that oh, face, Lee. His portrayal of Danny Pink has been wonderful. I can't wait to see more of him in the weeks to come. Is that a euphemism? Can't <laughs> uh, <clears throat> see a bit more Danny Pink. Really enjoying the off-topic film reviews, by the way. Some of my favourites are The Ipcris File. Oh, this is going to be really impossible in an Australian accent. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, go brilliant. On, go on. Okay, here we go. Some of my favourites are The Ipcris File, La Cité des Enfants Perdus. <laughs> Very, that's not bad. That's, that's not bad. That's really good. Don't we say that? I'm in Australia. That's uh, The City of Lost Children for you non-foreign speaking types. <laughs> the Matrix, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, Mad Max 2, a homegrown one. Ghostbusters, the Blues Brothers, etc., etc. You get the idea. I'll try not to make this an epic email, so I'll say toodles and tell you all to keep up the great work. Fantastic podcast, Tristan. Can I just say, you started off quite high, 
and then you ended up being I know. gravelly. It's like some Australian Tommy Vance. <laughs> God, that oh, was Tommy actually... Vance. Remember Tommy Vance? Yeah, Mr. I, I love the stories. I had friends who were into heavy metal and they used to say about... It was brilliant. I think they went to Donington one year yeah. and there was a whole audience going, Tommy is a wanker. That's Tommy right. is a wanker. And they promptly all threw bottles of wheat and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he was trying to play music. God uh, rest his soul. Yeah, yeah. On to a more serious subject. He did ask for an Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite sure that's what he got. <laughs> <clears throat> film reviews. Oh my word. Well, I didn't watch a film this week, but oh. there was one I watched before I started doing the film reviews on the podcast that I've not had a chance to bring up. Mm. Either of you two ever see Clueless? Yeah. I've seen bits of it. Oh, you didn't like it? Is it? That's not the one with the two girls, is it? Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, the two girls. Clueless. I just spend every no, one of I her films see. watching her lips. Alicia on her face, I mean. Sorry, oh, dear. sorry. did I just say oh, God. that? Please. Oh, dear, edit. Edit. Yeah, edit that one. <coughs> um, well, you looked at me like... <laughs> you looked at me like... Anyway. Yeah. Go. But she's got these weird amorphous lips that just... Yeah, she's got odd lips. Like two leeches. <laughs> <laughs> but she did Clueless. Did she not like Clueless then? No, I didn't like Clueless. Really? I just didn't enjoy it. Maybe it was an off day for me there, JR. It was a remake of Emma. Jane Austen? Yeah, but I still didn't like it. Oh, it was a classic. Really? Yeah. I need to rewatch it. Convince me then, come on. Well, just rewatch it. No, it's Clueless is. Well, I'll tell you where it comes from. It was directed by Amy Heckerling, who did Fast Times at Ridgemont High. No. Okay, you know Cameron Crowe, who yes. did Jerry Maguire and mm-hmm. Say Anything. Vanilla Sky. Like yeah, Vanilla yeah. Sky. His first film as a writer was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. What brought him to the attention of the public in America was he was a journalist for, was it Rolling Stone or something else? Mm. He was in his mid-twenties and he decided to go back to high school and do his last year of high school again as a 26-year-old. Yeah, meanwhile, making, Jump Street. meanwhile, making notes for a mm. series of articles about what life in high school was really like. Yeah. <laughs> and Fast Times at Ridgemont High was the movie script he made, fictionalising his experience. Oh, I must so have it's all So it's all <coughs> high school kids. That does sound good, I've, I've not yeah, seen but a it's... film of his that I didn't like. Oh, so. He doesn't direct it, though. He wrote it. And right. Amy Heckling, her mm-hmm. first film as director, was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Right. And that's what set her on. And then the next couple of films, well, odd films here and there that nobody really knows, but the next big film she did were the first two Look Who's Talking films. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Which I've never seen, but... Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Starts out really indie, comes into Hollywood, <coughs> and then Clueless was a step back to her roots. Okay. So Clueless is <clears throat> one of those heightened reality films. All the performances are sort of heightened reality. But what she managed to do, because she had the experience from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which was very close to the knuckle, very honest, and very much dealing with the characters... What she does with Clueless, and she's the only director who's ever got Alicia Silverstone to give a decent performance, she does this heightened reality thing, but draws you into so the characters so much that by the end of the film, 
you're rooting for them like you would in any film that's not heightened reality. Mm, mm. And Clueless has got so much social satire in it as well. It's just... It's one of those films that is so rich. You can watch it time after time after time and still get new things out of it. And I'm amazed that you... I, I think it's got the same sort of reputation as like Legally Blonde. I wouldn't watch Legally Blonde <coughs> for the same reasons. Well, that's that. I mean, it, no, it's better. It's better than Legally Blonde. Yeah, I can tell you yeah. that for so I had to watch that as well. But um, oh, clearly, I just, I just think bona fide classic. Okay, well, yeah, listen, I'm yeah. going to go back and rewatch that then. Yeah, you really should. I I watched it and just came away nonplussed. It didn't didn't do anything for me. Anyway, point is, best part of 20 years later, and after stuttering careers, Amy Heckerling and Alicia Silverstone have got together again, actually a couple of years ago, and done a film called Vamps. Yeah. Which didn't get a release in the United Kingdom, but came out on straight to DVD a few weeks ago, and that was one of the ones I reviewed. And basically, it's like the Anthony Stephanie Meyer it's it's clueless with vampires. Okay. So while some of the comedy is still stuck in the 1990s, it's still got that heightened reality. It's got more vampire stuff packed in, in the form of background stuff and jokes and just little asides and things going on. Then you get in all the Twilight films stuck together. And it's got the kind of characters <coughs> that you think are just, cartoon characters but by the end of the film you're absolutely rooting for them and the last scene in the film i'm not going to spoil it and say what the last scene is the last scene in the film is absolutely heartbreaking but not in a sentimental way Mm. in spite of all this heightened reality the last scene's played absolutely for for real and it's a killer and it's got sigourney weaver absolutely vamping it up to the heavens (laughs) all right i'll give that a go it was a great film if give both of those a go Mm. okay The thing about it is, it's kind of, on the surface of it, it's kind of a shallow chick flick. But it's not. There's so much more going on that you have to give it the first half an hour until it starts to draw you into what's actually happening. Mm. Because it's one of these things where if you just look at it on the surface, the first 20 minutes are going to really put you off. I watched a really deep film last night. Cool. Was it to do with the swimming pool? It, it was... wasn't Derek Jarvin's Blue by any chance, was it? No. I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen that, though. Because that's a deep Marvelous. film. <laughs> but, uh, I tell you, it's a, leagues under the sea. it's a feast <laughs> for the eyes. <laughs> it's almost as good as uh, Andy Warhol's film of the Empire State Building. I had to watch... It's just a blue screen. I had to watch Blue on, on the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, is it Blue? Yeah. I, know, I know, I've seen mm. Blue. Mm. Yeah, but I had to watch it on black and white TV. It was a bright waste of time. Um, oh, hey. <laughs> Did you watch it in widescreen though? Because it, <laughs> it loses when you panned and scanned. It absolutely loses all its best Momus qualities. Remember me saying about an artist called Momus? Yeah, Nicholas Curry. Yeah, it's a song on the soundtrack to Blue. Oh, oh yeah. dear. Terrible piece of rubbish, blue. Anyway, um, I really enjoyed it. Did you? Really? Yeah. Did you yeah. really? Yeah. What I rather watch paint dry. dry. Well, <laughs> I got something from it. I found it quite touching. But anyway, how long does it take to watch paint dry? Because you could do that with a theme tune going on in the background or some music. Mm. That'd be a good piece of. Have you ever watched Andy Warhol's Empire State Building? No, that's what I was looking on Plus Tax. I'd not heard of that. Oh, it's just he just put a camera and pointed at the Empire State Building and just did something like. 
40 reels. So mm. it's something like eight hours of just the Empire State Building. Which people do on a webcam now. <laughs> Normally, yeah. don't they? Um, no, I watched a, it's a, a very deep yes. artistic film last night called Cockney's Versus Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh know? my god, all that preamble through <laughs> Derek Jarman and Andy Warhol to get to <laughs> Cockneys versus Zombies. It's a pretty shit film. Um, <laughs> but the best thing in it, there's two good things in it. One is Richard Briers on a, uh, and, he, and he's got, um, what are those things called? Zimmer frame mm. with an Uzi 9mm taking out zombies. It's Richard Briers, it's brilliant. Um, and then the next thing, <laughs> best thing, is the ending. It's Chaz and Dave track, which is absolutely stunning. Oh, yeah, yeah. because <clears throat> yeah, it, it goes like this. It goes, we're going head to head. With the undead, you're pumping full of lead, but they still stay dead. <laughs> it was just so funny at the end of the film. The rest of the film wasn't very good, but that was just like, oh yeah. Was it not good? If the... Was it fun? It was fun. There's a lot of swearing in it, there's a lot of shooting zombies. Does it work on its own terms? It's That's the important couple of thing. boys, couple of cotney boys who's trying to rescue their granddad who's a right old gangster. Have you seen from a, from a home in a double decker bus? Because it's kind of the zombie With version Lady of Lady D'Souza. Michelle, whatever her face is, in um, Doctor Who. Lady D'Souza. Oh, oh um, yeah, Michelle yeah, yeah. Ryan. Mm. Yeah, Michelle mm. Ryan's in it, looking exactly the same as she did in Doctor Who. So, yeah, it's, it's all right. It's a bit of fun. It's a lot of head blowing up. And... <laughs> it's kind of in a similar area to that one with the aliens set in the hood, isn't it? Attack oh, the Attack, hood? The, Attack the Block is great. Attack the Block, yeah. I thought that was really good. Oh, you thought that was a lot better than so oh, Connie's versus yeah, yeah, Zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Connie to... versus Zombies is almost like uh, it's like a B movie with a little bit more of a, you know, a little bit more money thrown at it. But. Mm. Um, Generally speaking, it's not that great. Who's the guy? I can't never remember his name, but it's the guy who was in Snatch. Who, who, I think it's the guy in Snatch with the pigs. Brad Pitt. <laughs> um, no, the Brad the, Pig. You know the one nasty geezer. Nasty geezer. No. No, lots of teeth. I've seen Snatch since it came him. out. But anyway, he's, I think it's him in, in it. He's great as the granddad. Mm. But it's a lot of effing blinding it. It's hilarious. Simon, any film you want to talk about? Oh, no. Okay, let's move time. on then. I've not had time. We're moving ahead to it. I've been busy undead. drawing and things. Yeah, go on. And writing. You can put films on while you're drawing. You can. You can. I'm trying to think what I had going in the background while I was drawing. I'll tell you one film I do bloody love. I've just seen it over there on Blu-ray. My favourite kids movie, Fantastic Mr Fox. You've still not watched it, have you? I still have not watched it. I've got to get through Clueless, yeah? I've got Fantastic Mr. Fox at home and I've not watched it either. <gasps> I love... It's um, a gem. It is an wow. absolute gem and it's one of those films that works on multiple levels. It works for the kids where it's just talking animals and it, you hear... They, they swear in it. They go on about cussing. And they start... Instead of saying the F word, they say cuss. You cussing with me? And he, they actually face off and stuff. Oh, I don't know. I don't think well done intended that. The animation is amazing. I, it just it just works. You wouldn't think it worked. George Wes Clooney's. Anderson film though, isn't it? Yeah. I find all his films are great to watch, great to look at, filmed with amazing performances and absolutely meaningless. Oh, no, this is good. This is good. This works. It is, yeah. You've still got that central core thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair enough. That's a good point. No, I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. And the more I watch it, the more I get from it. So it's one of those. And um, what's that? Stop motion one on the front. Attack the Cog. Simon, what kind of a film is that is you've that? got there? Where does it say? <laughs> oh. Actually, worse than that is the Bean movie. 
That's there because my daughter loves Mr. Bean. <clears throat> my wife can't stand it. Attack the Cock. That's the film about <laughs> the alien invaders from outer space, isn't it? All look like chickens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think it's about time we wound this up, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's been long enough. Oh no, actually, looks like it says an hour and thirty-eight. Oh, I promised an hour and forty-seven. You didn't did. I? How are we going to fill next ten minutes? <laughs> <laughs> we could see Chaz and Dave. A TV Dave. series. Oh. My wife watches a heck of a lot of Grey's Anatomy, but I tell you what, what I've seen of it, it's very, very good. It's like Casualty with a brain. Oh, what a surprise that a successful TV series that keeps getting renewed year after year after year and has lots of fans across the entire globe is actually very good, Simon. There's a shock. I know. There you go. <laughs> That's a, is it not bad? Is it <coughs> How many by series HBO? of X Factor have we had? Is it HBO again? Uh, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing about X Factor is it might not be to your taste, but on its own terms, it is exceptionally professional. It's very good at what it does. Which is brainwash children into thinking that they can be superstars. They quite plainly won't be. Mm. Well, some of them get to be superstars, don't they? Building castles on sand. That's what they're doing. That don't last very long. Not necessarily. These talent shows have been around since the dawn of time. Are we seriously talking about the X Factor now? On the Blue Box uh, podcast. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's quite the same as that. I mean, they were talking about going out on the variety circuits and things like that, you know, when variety was still a thing. But this is... is Gladiatorial. It is, and it, and it kind of... It's leapfrogging the natural musical process of oh, people yes, learning the as they go along. Yeah, has leapfrogged the natural musical process. The evolution's been leapfrogged. Just like the X-Men. But at the heart of it, you've got someone like Simon Cowell, where his only talent is recognising what is popular already and just basically churning that out. Taking the oh, things... he doesn't just recognise what's popular already. He recognises who can do it as well. You have to have a talent for putting the two things together. Okay. Because not everybody could do that. You could have a brilliant singer walk in and you could say, that's a brilliant singer, that's a brilliant song put the two together, and they're just a mismatch. Mm. You have to have a talent for recognising which singer goes with which song as well. It's far more manufactured because a lot of the time the singers, they get on there, they give the impression it's a natural process, but it isn't at all. A lot of them are pre-arsed, aren't they? You, you've got experience of that, haven't you? Uh, what? Were you <coughs> asked to be on the X Factor? No, Holly went for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all about stories and stuff like that. That's what they're, they're all they're interested in. I mean, Holly's an exceptional singer and player and songwriter. I'm not just saying that. She actually is. And you'd probably agree, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got a friend called Rosa as well, and a couple of others that she hangs with. And they're all amazing performers and exceptional what they do. And they, her and her friend actually both went to an X Factor audition. They both went in with exactly the same track, which was odd because they weren't intended to play the same thing, into two different rooms at the same time. And they both played the same track. And without maybe going on at saying that Holly's the best and she came out with it first, but she did this version of Crazy by Niles Barkley. It was just amazing. This other girl did the same version, pretty much in a similar vein. And they've both got similar voices, though Holly has got this different inflection to her voice. Holly didn't even get a second look. And this other girl went through. And I thought... What was that all about? And it's just, you know, maybe it's a story. Maybe it's the fact that there's something about that person mm. that they're looking for for this series. Mm. Um, and I, I don't really know what that was. But I do know after talking to so many people, I've been going over and over again because you get to, to speak to everybody in the room. Mm. Oh, I've been trying this. I've been trying that. And, you know, some people are larger than life and 
you know, some people are very camp and over the top and other people are very kind of intense and have got great voices and, and certain people get through, certain people don't. And talking to the guys who, you know, do it every year and book people in and they said, well, you know, stories. That's what well, it's all about. If and, also, a good story, and not just stories, because the stories well, no, are what they use. Talent, yeah. But, or you've got to be utterly shite. Well, or, well <laughs> to get onto the telly. Yeah. But also you've got to have the X factor. Look at the kind of girls who get stopped in airports and train stations by top modelling agencies mm. who say, you have what it would take to become a model. People like Jodie Marsh. Mm. Jodie Marsh is not what you'd call remotely conventionally attractive, mm. and yet she had a top career as a top model. And if you look at half the top models, they're not what you'd call conventionally attractive. No. They're not looking for the good singers. They're looking for the singer who can pull off the tune and also has that quirk that gives that tune mm. charisma. And the watchability, yeah. So yeah. The, it's, it's like the, there's different. that model Excellent. who's getting incredible amount of work at the moment with a big gap between her teeth. Yeah. She's got that. Oh, the Debenhams one. She started off in the wedding range at Debenhams. Was it? I only know this because I was delivering the mail there and I had to go in the lift every day. Right. And the picture inside the lift is so big, I actually fit in the gap between her teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Please take a picture of that. Oh, I don't think it's there anymore. Oh, no, but that was the wedding range at yeah. Debenhams. And, of course, when you notice something like that, you can't help but notice it everywhere else she turns up. Holly's got that gap between us. I was just thinking that, actually. So, For years, yeah. we were, you know, con she was contemplating getting it sorted out, and she didn't want to. She goes, well, you know, there are famous people who have got it, and she pointed out Madonna straight away, mm. I, know, I suppose, and a couple of other people with gaps, and that, that model as well. But, so she's kept it. Do you know what she's called? Cause, uh, no, I can't yeah. think. But she can't whisper between her teeth. Well, she can whistle between her teeth. It's called big. breathing. On <laughs> every S and every sibilance. But you, as a father, I wanting a father. the best of your daughter, yes. you probably want what her to have a long... What the hell did you send her off to the X Factor for? I didn't. Longevity of a musical yeah. career. Would you say the X Factor is the right direction? No, absolutely not. No. Totally, 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 totally not. The thing is about the X Factor, like you say, you've got to, you've got to have the X Factor, but you've got to have some kind of durability about you that can handle that world. And certain people have carried on. What's the um, Will Young and people like that? Will Young, it was the first one. Though, well, it's one it? of the first. Yeah, but he's he's. There's something about him that he he, he can keep going. He's, he has he's got, not stupid for a start. He's not stupid. He's got he has got an in, exceptional vocal range. It's beautiful his voice actually. Mm. He annoys the shit out of me. But <laughs> not as annoying as Gareth Gates though. No, exactly. I don't think his voice is any better. But he has got a really good voice. He's got a good voice. So he's going to work well in the pop world. It's just gonna. It's, that's just the way it is. But not everybody survives that. You can count on your hand, one hand, how many of those people over the last ten years have still got careers that work mm -hmm. now, um, and are good, or interesting, or different, or whatever. There aren't many of them that are left. They have a couple of years and they've gone. I suppose there's so also I, a viewpoint I, as well that longevity isn't what everyone wants. Some people just want their time in the limelight, yeah, and then it's over. Ten exactly. minutes. Yeah. you know, it's the thing is that say somebody like Holly. Yeah. Um, look back at. You know, the ones from the 1970s. We remember people like Lulu and mm, who yeah. came through those, but that's like one in 20. The rest exactly. of them all yeah. disappeared pretty soon afterwards, didn't they? Mm. And that's what, mm. it's, that's what it is. It's just a kind of a quick fix for a lot of people. Um, oh, this is my last chance and all this sort of thing. But it they is go on there, what famous. it is. And actually, you know, you've got a, you've got a potentially lucrative career on a, <clears throat> on a cruise boat or whatever, which pays a lot of money. If that's what you want, that's great. Things with Holly, she's already been paid already at 16 to go and play. 
at a caravan park, okay, and she does her own thing. It's not conventional. Um, and, you know, either she can go get the quick fix or she can work hard up the, the pole and just make music because she, she loves it. But she's she becoming a brilliant songwriter. And you either yeah. do the telly or you can do the internet. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, Britain's Got Talent, X Factor, she's done Open Mic UK and all these other things. She's got into finals of certain things. She didn't get so far on the TV ones. But I'm really, really thankful for that, that that's the case. I'm glad that she's had those rejections because mm. it actually has made her a lot tougher and she's working a lot, lot harder. Well, that all got very serious. No, it's good. Yeah. Anyway, we've done an hour and 47. Shall we knock it on the head? <laughs> We're going head to head oh. with the undead. Pump and full of lead, but they don't stay dead. <laughs> <laughs> look it up, it's great. Okay, I was JR. I was Lee. I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon.